You're listening to Friendlier, the podcast for friends who love to talk, read, and eat. I'm Sarah. And I'm Abby. Today we're going to talk about feeding our families, but first we want to share a couple of podcasts with you that we think you'll love. The first one we want to talk about is Cohesive Home, which is run by Kate and Melissa. You may recognize that name as we have collaborated with them in the past, so if you haven't already, check out the community episode we both did this time last year. They have a great conversational style and really talk about how to live into your family's values. I appreciate the different perspectives they bring to the conversation and following along as they really live out what they talk about on the show. Recently, Melissa just moved to Fort Worth and moved her family into an apartment and has been talking about city life and why they made those choices and switched from homeschooling to sending her kids to public school. And Kate's family sold their house this past year and are now traveling full time in an RV. And Kate just started a new podcast, which is called Streamlined Motherhood, and it's about living intentionally as a mom. And when I was listening to it, because she shared the first three episodes with us to preview, it reminded me a little bit of Liz Gilbert's podcast, Big Magic, Yes, but specifically about parenting. Mm -hmm. What I love about it is that she's really encouraging, number one. Number two, she gives concrete activities that you can do to think intentionally about how you're parenting. And it's also like big magic in that she's going to have other voices come on the pod and talk about their experiences with intentional motherhood. I love the length of the episodes as well, that it's not a big time commitment, but that there's a lot packed in and that you get a lot to think about over the course of the next week. Yes, very thought-provoking. We will be sure to include both shows in our show notes and link to them on Instagram so that you guys get connected with Kate and Melissa and both of these great shows. Now let's catch up on life lately. Sarah, what is new with you? I would like to talk about my Chacos and how much I love them. (laughs) (laughs) I got my first pair of Chacos in 2004 when I was a freshman in college Mm -hmm. and have never stopped wearing them. I have gone through several pairs, and when I say go through, I don't mean I get tired of the design and want an upgrade. I mean I've worn through the sole, and then because I haven't gotten it replaced, wear through the straps, and then the shoes are no longer functional. (laughs) I have known in the past that Chaco does repairs so that you can re-Chaco your Chacos instead of having to purchase a new pair, Mm -hmm. but mine are always in such bad shape by the time I think about that process that it's almost as cheap to buy an on-sale pair of Chacos right. as it is to get the whole thing redone when you have to reweb and resole the shoe. Mm-hmm. But this time, the sole had just broken through to the other layer and had not yet gone into the straps. And I thought, okay, this time I'm doing it. I mailed them off July 31st and just got them back mid-September. So that was a long time to be parted from my favorite shoe mm-hmm. in the height of Chaco season. Right. In the future, I need to think about this in the winter and be checking my shoes to see if I need to send them in so that I won't really miss them when they're gone Mm -hmm. because it was a noticeable absence in my life over those six weeks. But they arrived two days ago and I am in love. It is so satisfying to have the same pair continuing on instead of throwing them in the trash can and buying a whole new pair. Yeah. It's cheaper. Everything about the experience besides the time I was parted from my Chacos was amazing and satisfying. What's been happening with you? We have been getting ready for Hurricane Florence. 
It looks as though we may not get quite as much hurricane as we thought we were going to, Mm -hmm. though there's really no telling. I think part of why people are having big feelings and kind of freaking out about it is because it is unknown. Yes. You can have models and make predictions, but nothing's really for sure. Mm -hmm. So that can be, I think, tough on a lot of folks. But I think in our family, we've kept relatively cool heads. We are very lucky that we're up pretty high. Even for our town, you know, the roads sort of slope away from us in several directions. So what we've done has been filling up the brewing buckets that Andrew has with lots of tap water in case something happens and the pumps don't work or the water supply is contaminated and we would need to boil the water. Buying a couple things from Amazon that then didn't come, a portable phone charger and Hmm. a crank weather radio. So... I guess we won't have those if the hurricane actually does come. (laughs) Maybe for a future weather event, you'll be prepared then. We will be ready in the case of future hurricanes, which, to be honest, are likely to keep happening. Yes. I think we're as ready as we can be, and we will just see how it goes. Also been thinking a lot about folks on the coast who did not get missed this time. Yes. It's looking like there is going to be a lot of repairs and support that will be needed. So be thinking a lot about them, too. Yes. Now we're going to talk about what we've been reading. What have you been reading lately? I read Educated by Tara Westover. This one's on my list. Yes, I think it is on many people's lists. It has been all over the interwebs this whole year, really. And I was a little worried that it wouldn't live up to the hype Mm. when you hear so much about a book, but it absolutely did. I mean, that's amazing to be able to say that. Agreed. It is a memoir of a childhood spent in an abusive survivalist home in the mountains of Idaho. She eventually leaves her home to go to college at BYU and then continues on to both Cambridge and Harvard for a PhD. When I had heard people talking about this book, I felt like the emphasis was really on this educational transformation Hmm. that she didn't have any formal education and then went on to this academic success. But I feel like the book is really about how she navigated her family and how after leaving, she was able to set boundaries and take care of herself. Hmm. I think she really beautifully portrayed the humanity of her family, both the good and the bad. She was unflinchingly honest about the ways that they hurt her, but she didn't erase the parts of her childhood and her family that had joy and happiness as a part of it. Hmm. And she let us sit with that both and that they could be abusive, but they could also be loving and that people can have terrible qualities and beautiful qualities and it doesn't make what happened to her okay Hmm. and it doesn't absolve them and left us to sit with the complicated nature of families and people and how to be clear but not paint with a broad brush, if that makes sense. Interesting. That is not at all what I expected, given Mm. (laughs) like what I'd heard about it. I felt the same way. It was really hard to read about the abuse. So be prepared going in that she does not look away from physical and emotional abuse. And that's a big part of the narrative. Hmm. But I would absolutely recommend it. It was beautifully written I will be thinking about this book for a very long time to come. What have you been reading? So I read The Lost Kingdom of Bamar by Gil Carson Levine, and I did not even know that this book existed. So this is a middle grade fantasy novel 
that is a prequel to one of my most favorite comfort reads, The Two Princesses of Bamar. And I think that one's less well known, but Gail Carson Levine also wrote Ella Enchanted, which I've talked about on the pod before, and lots more people know. So this isn't a new book. Because when I saw you reading it on Goodreads, I assumed it was a comfort reread for you. It was not a reread. But it came out after Two Princesses of Bamar. It only came out last year. Mm. So I had just heard about it when I was reading it. Mm-hmm. But it's set way before The Two Princesses of Bamar in time. Okay. So it's a middle grade novel. So it's really short. But it doesn't feel especially fluffy. Great, strong characters. I mean, they do talk about suffering of people during wartime. And so for that reason, it's probably a little bit older middle grade for slightly more mature readers. Mm -hmm. And there are threads of things like racism and sexism. There's a more complicated main character because when we first meet her, she's not well liked. Mm. And so that's really interesting, too. I got a surprising amount out of it for thinking I was just going to get sort of a fun fairy tale kind of experience. Mm hmm. But I really loved it. I don't think that this is a book for everybody, but I think this would be great to read with older elementary students or middle schoolers, and especially if you're a fan of Gail Carson Levine's other writing. Today we're going to talk about feeding our families. Let's start with a general overview of how we think about food and our kids. I want to offer my kids good options, but then not worry about what they actually eat. Mm. So... We provide the food, they make the choices, which you are the one who introduced me to Ellen Satter and some of these concepts, and I also think it's very in line with the Rye philosophy. Right. We do not make them finish their food or make them take a bite of everything. We try and make no commentary at all about what they are eating or in what quantities, which I found to be surprisingly difficult when we were first starting to do this. Yeah. That I would catch myself saying, oh, you must really like this, or don't you want to try this? Or offering these little encouragements in one direction or the other that are, of course, very transparent in what I'm trying to achieve. (laughs) Yeah. So I'd found myself biting my tongue a lot and just letting them eat what they're going to eat. Because I knew at the outset, I did not want food to be a power struggle. Nice. I wanted it to be a time that we enjoyed sharing together as a family. Right. We also don't cater to our kids and make anything separate for them at dinner time. I often deconstruct the meal. So if we're having a soup and I know they won't necessarily like it in soup form, Mm. I'll have the veggies that were included in the soup also on the table as finger foods Mm. and they'll still get a bowl of soup. But that way they're getting the components, even if they're not going to eat it the same way that Neil and I will. Yeah. What's your family's philosophy around food? We also stick with the basics of Ellen Satter. We decide what and when we're eating and Plum decides how much because I encountered the same kind of thing as you of like, I mean, what else do you talk to a toddler about at dinner if you're not talking to them about like (laughs) eating and, you know, enjoying or not enjoying or whatever? I say a lot these two phrases. You don't have to eat it. Yes. And maybe you'll like it next time you try it. Mm, I love that. We also say that you don't have to eat it. And our take on the second phrase is sometimes our tastes change over time. And then we usually give an example of, oh, nice. you didn't used to like this, but now you really do. Or I used to think I didn't like avocados, but now I love avocados. To try and reframe it as your tastes aren't set. Right. That they can and do evolve. I think that's a good reframe both for the children and a good reminder for me as a parent mm-hmm. that the situation that's happening at the dinner table today right. is not the ongoing situation that we can expect 
you know, using those two phrases and trying to have that mindset around it, I think has helped us avoid those power struggles. Mm -hmm. So thinking about the future, what I want for Plum is for her to enjoy food and to appreciate eating with loved ones. I love that. In terms of the specifics of what we do, we mostly offer her what we're having, which is mostly kid friendly-ish. And I do think that it's normal, especially when you're first starting to feed your kid solid food to worry about how much they're eating. Mm -hmm. But one thing that really helped me that my mom said early on is that kids average out their eating over a week or a month, which I found to absolutely be true for Plum. Mm -hmm. She might eat two bowls of chicken noodle soup one night, more than Andrew and I are eating even. (laughs) And then the next morning for breakfast, she eats one bite of Cheerios and then it's over. So (laughs) it helps me to remember that it all evens out. I love to think about it that way. And I think that helps me across the day also. Sometimes they don't really eat lunch or they pick at their food or they're snacking more or less and just to not focus in on it. Mm -hmm. I think by trusting our children, we're also teaching them to trust their own bodies, Mm -hmm. which is something that I really want for Plum as she grows up. I feel the same. So thinking about how things might have been, Has anything changed around your family's eating habits and meal planning since you had kids? I don't think meal planning has changed very much, as Neil and I have always liked having a real dinner together. Mm. Although we used to sit on the couch and watch a show much more than we do now, (laughs) where now we're always at the table, Uh as opposed to our grad school days of a more casual eating scenario. I definitely identify with eating in front of the TV much less now. Mm -hmm. I don't know that Andrew and I ever ate at the table before, even up to when Plum was born, but before she was having dinner with us. Yes, we were the same. We were still eating on the couch a whole lot, but really we (laughs) haven't done that in ages. And now I also try and offer a vegetable at every dinner where I Mm -hmm. definitely didn't do that before. I was much more of like a cook the entree, this is what you get. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If you still feel hungry, eat more entree or (laughs) something else later. Yes. I think probably having a kid around has sent us more toward the balanced meal side of things. Mm -hmm. Along these lines, were there any things that you did a lot more when you had a much younger kid food-wise that you don't do as much now? When HP was born, we were very particular about what he ate Mm. (laughs) to the point where some people, possibly my parents, thought we were (laughs) a little extreme about it. Uh I felt like while I could control the food he was eating, I didn't want him eating a ton of sweets. Yeah. And I knew that I wasn't going to have control for very long. I knew he was going to be out in the world at birthday parties, at preschool, making his own choices, Mm -hmm. and that was fine and good. But while he was a toddler, I did want to control what he was eating. And looking back now, I feel differently about it, and I think I would handle it differently than I did. Uh But that was our approach for his early years. Things were different with E, as she's the younger sibling, (laughs) and the world had already opened up to our home. That was not her experience as a toddler (laughs) and young child. (laughs) Yeah, we had similar situation with Plum's first year, where I was careful about things like milk, especially, that I thought would be Mm. allergen-related. And I remember feeling really frustrated when a loved one of ours gave her ice cream for the first time when I wasn't Mm. there, and it 
you know, she hadn't had sugar and she hadn't had like an influx of straight dairy like that either. Mm-hmm. And of course it was fine. But I remember having strong feelings about it. Yes. Whereas the children to come, if there are more of them, will not have <laughs> the same experience because now we eat plenty of all the things that we tried to limit her first year. And if I'm having some or if Plum knows that we have it and asks to have it, I just give it to her. Mm-hmm. And I knew that I didn't want sweets to be a battle once they were part of our lives. And this is something that took me a little while to figure out, though I think I had this instinct from the beginning, which was letting them have control of when they were eating the sweet. Mm. So with things like Halloween candy or if we have cake or cookies in the house, at the beginning of the day, it's like, here's the amount that you get. Eat it whenever you want. If you want to eat it all for (laughs) breakfast, eat it all for breakfast. But don't ask me if you can have another cookie or when you're getting another cookie, because I just found it so irritating to hear the whining about when they could get another sweet. Mm -hmm. It also, I think, teaches them some skills about self-regulating. Yes. It's been interesting to watch the different personalities approach to that as well, because my children have some different inclinations in that area. (laughs) Love it. How do you think the larger context of our culture around food plays into your decisions about feeding your kids? This is an area where I am very actively learning more about body positivity and fat activism and how to reframe food. So right now, my thoughts feel very in flux. And I think there are aspects that even in a month or two that I might have stronger footing on Mm. and have a more concrete idea of how I want to implement that because I feel like a lot of things are percolating for me right now. And you've been a big help to me on that in terms of following different accounts on Instagram and pointing me towards some resources. And we can definitely share some of the things that have been most Mm -hmm. helpful to us in terms of books and Instagram accounts when we put together the show notes. That sounds great. From the beginning, I've tried to avoid labeling foods as good and bad, but now I found that that question has turned, and so they're asking me whether certain foods are healthy and good for our bodies or not, Mm -hmm. and I think that language would have felt okay to me before, and now it feels really complicated. Right. One thing I've been telling them is that if they enjoy eating it, that that is good and important. Nice. And that there are reasons to eat food besides health, and that I don't want them to have any guilt around eating certain foods or to feel shame for wanting to eat cake or enjoying eating ice cream and that those are parts of our lives that are good. I like eating those things too and I want us to truly enjoy the experience, not be thinking about how quote unquote bad we're being or how we need to exercise the next day to make up for it. To earn the calories we just ate. Exactly. And we never talk about calories in our house or whether something's worth it or not. (laughs) But I want to turn it to you because I think you've really thought through this a little bit more than I have and have really healthy ways of thinking about it in your family. Thank you for saying that. I feel like I am also still learning a lot about health at every size Mm -hmm. and not letting food control our lives. And I'm so thankful that I am coming into it now when I have a young kid so that I can start to implement some things. But, you know, one of the fears I have is that we can do all this at home and that there are so many loud messages culturally still Mm -hmm. that when she is more in the world, as she certainly will be, that it will be hard still and that we'll have to continue to have those conversations. So still trying to do a lot of work to learn and educate myself so that I'm ready for those conversations when they happen. 
How we have done it so far is that we've also attempted not to assign value to food. We give Plum dessert if we have it around and she asks. Generally, we put it on her plate with her main meal and let her eat however much she wants of everything that's on her plate. Would you say you have dessert most nights? We probably have cookies around. Cookies are the most common dessert in our house. Mm -hmm. Maybe slightly less than half the time. For a while this summer, we had popsicles that she was having for a snack after rest every day. But I got sick of having to clean her clothes from the popsicles. And so I (laughs) didn't buy any more after. Mm -hmm. So with putting the food on her plate, I used to feel shocked that she would eat a bite of cookie and then a bite of green beans, and then a bite of entree. Mm -hmm. But she does that really consistently without even thinking about it, just eats what she wants in the moment, and will regularly leave half a cookie behind after having eaten all the other food. Mm -hmm. Or ask for more strawberries and not finish the cookie, Mm -hmm. which to me is amazing. And it shows that at least in our case, it's really working, that The food is all equal in her mind, and she's eating to her own satisfaction regardless of any value that's happening. I love this concept, and it's one that I've heard of before, but we haven't really implemented it because we don't regularly have dessert at our house. Yeah. So it's a little bit tricky in that regard. It mostly comes up around holidays Mm. and birthdays, and I've told the kids that on their birthday, they can eat their cake whenever they want it. That whatever amount we're deciding, that they can be in control of that, where we just had Neil's birthday and he wanted to have his after dinner. So it's his birthday and that was his decision. And so that's what we were doing as a family. So I know it's not quite the same thing, but I've wondered how to incorporate that when dessert isn't a regular part of our day. I think that it sounds actually great the way you have it, that they have autonomy in it themselves and that giving it on the plate is one way to give autonomy, right? That you say, we have it at mealtime and you can eat it or not, however much you want. But it's a similar thing that you're doing. Mm -hmm. You've just spread the choice out over the whole day. Mm. Yeah. So I like both ways of doing it. And I'm also interested to see, will it work the same with another kid? Because Plum is who she is. Mm -hmm. And so I'm interested to see if I start to see the personality differences that you mentioned, some with your kids, Mm -hmm. if we have another kid. I will also be curious how it happens with future children in your family because my kids have very different approaches. And while I think some things about the way Neil and I approach it now have differed, some things really haven't. And I don't think it's been a drastic shift and they have a very different approach. So I wonder how much of that is personality and then how much is helping kids that may struggle more with that self-regulation, that having a family where that's valued can help develop that. But I mean, I do think some of it is just who they are. Yeah. So we'll see about that. Let's move into the logistics of family mealtimes. What routines have you implemented or do you hope to incorporate in the future around meals in your family? So we have consistently done family dinner from when HP was eating with us. But in the past year, it has become clear to me that we have a lot more work to do around manners and being <laughs> part of society when it comes to my children being at a table with other human beings. <laughs> and I think for so much of it, we were just in survival mode. Yeah. So the fact that all of us were sitting around the table, even for five minutes, felt like a win. Totally. And everything else was just gravy. And I didn't worry about it. But we are paying for that now and trying to implement a little more structure than there had been in the past. 
a few of the things that we've been doing are, one, we have a secular blessing that we say, and no one can eat until after the blessing. So it's a cue of now the meal's really beginning, as opposed (laughs) to this grabbing things off the table and shoving them in their mouths as soon as they sit down. At which point, the kids are often done with their meal before Neil and I have actually served ourselves yes, because they've been snacking or getting into things earlier. We also have been trying to have children sitting in the chair with napkins on their laps, which is harder than it sounds for some reason. (laughs) And during the meal, working on not interrupting and being polite in terms of how you discuss the food. So you can say you don't prefer something, but you can't disparage the food or say that it's gross when we're eating it and the person who cooked it is at the table. (laughs) And then asking to be excused and then carrying their own plates and glasses to the counter, which also puts a firm end on it. Yeah. Where before when the plates were left out, they'd often come back to graze later. But now it's eat what you want and then your plate's going away. So it's been working. I wouldn't say that we're ready for tea with the queen, but... (laughs) I'm not quite as embarrassed when we have guests and feel that we're moving in the right direction. What do the logistics look like at your house? I feel really lucky that Andrew arranges his schedule such that we have both breakfast and dinner together most days. Do you sit at the table for breakfast together? Yes, we do. Impressive. It's not as fancy (laughs) as it sounds. It's mostly let's all eat our Cheerios or our eggs. I still feel like that takes some coordination amidst the morning chaos to all get there at the same time. Because we all eat breakfast, but our schedules are just a little different where it's all happening at different times. Yeah. And I think that may be just a function of that our life is pretty basic. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not worrying about getting really anyone out the door except for Andrew Mm -hmm. and then Plum on school days and he takes her. So it's the same exit schedule. Right. Unlike having multiple schools starting at multiple times and then work and then whatever, which is what y'all have happening. So we'll see if it lasts. But family dinner. Like in your house, everyone has to be sitting down. Plum still sits in a Kikuru high chair, which is the kind that has the levels that you can adjust Mm -hmm. up and down. So it's a higher chair where she can come right up to the table, but she can climb into it herself, which is great. And she's not buckled in. No, she's just sitting on a chair, but at that height. We all have cloth napkins. We all use silverware. Plum is still about eating with her fingers. And so Mm -hmm. there's a lot of use your spoon reminders. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm familiar. (laughs) We just recently instituted that we would like her to ask, may I please be excused before she gets down Mm -hmm. and that once she gets down from her chair, the meal is over because we had a lot of, oh, dad just got home. I really want to show him this picture that I did that's on the fridge. Yes. (laughs) That we said, okay, you may be excused. Reminder that if you get down, I'm putting your plate in the sink and dinner will be over. So sometimes that encourages her to stay if she still feels hungry. Sometimes she gets down and then she cries when her dinner goes away. But it's another one of those things. There will be food again at breakfast and it'll be fine. Yes. I also really love your idea of a blessing and can't wait for you to share that in the show notes so that we can implement it at our house. Will do. Let's finish up by talking about some of our unexpected successes of specific foods that our kids like. So similar to what we've already talked about, I try and have no expectations about whether they will or won't like something. Mm. I think it's really easy to assume kids won't like foods with complicated flavors or weird textures or just things we consider to be quote unquote adult. Mm -hmm. But some of the ones that 
I wouldn't have expected if someone were to ask me, will your kids like this, would have answered no. But they love tofu with peanut sauce. Hmm. We do tofu rice bowls. And Neil and I eat it with all the veggies and tofu and sauce mixed together. They like they're separate. But they can go through some serious tofu. The other one is lentil loaf, which (laughs) I know you are not a fan. (laughs) But me and one of my children are. And part of that might have to do with dipping it in ketchup. And it's one of the few meals in which there is ketchup available. One child eats a lot of the loaf with ketchup. One child eats a lot of ketchup (laughs) without the loaf. (laughs) It is what it is. And the other one I remember was sauerkraut, that Mm. I really like eating sauerkraut. Mm -hmm. And it's something we offered the kids, and they were really into it. it. I would not have guessed that. And that's faded somewhat. So as we've said, it could be your kids grow into liking foods, but also I have found that they can grow out of liking foods as well. Totally. (laughs) What unexpected successes has your family had? I've always been surprised by how much Plum loves quiche. I Mm. tend to put a lot of spinach in it, but if she knows that there's quiche, either freshly cooked or leftover, she's like, I'm ready for my quiche now, please. Or she'll ask for it for lunch the next day and then also want to eat it for dinner. And I'm like, you eat all the spinach you want, girl. I think it helps that there's a good amount of cheese in it as well. It's an all-in-one meal. It is. And one I made recently that I was actually really surprised that she liked because it turned out to be really spicy was a curry potatoes and eggs recipe from Budget Bites, Mm. which is really simple. It's just... Potatoes in chunks, tomato sauce, curry powder, some other ginger and garlic and stuff seasonings. And then once that's all cooked and is sort of in a potato mash curry state, you crack eggs on the top so that they poach. Mm. It's very good. It sounds good. But I was surprised by how much Plum liked it because it ended up with the amount of curry powder we put in Mm -hmm. being super spicy. That was when she asked for that the next day. I was like... Sure, you can eat curry if you want. I'm about it. Absolutely. That wraps up our discussion about feeding our families. Listeners, we'd love to hear how meal planning and food culture works in your family, whether you have kids or not. Let's finish up by talking more about eating. (laughs) I have a very basic, very kid-friendly recipe to share. Pizza bagels. Yum. But I got this idea... From Plum Morning Cheat Pizza all the time. And I said, you know what we'll get? And I got little miniature bagels and put plain tomato sauce from a can on them, cut up pepperoni into bite-sized pieces, put pre-shredded mozzarella on the top, and broiled them. Very easy, very fast. Does great in lunches, cold. Mm -hmm. If you don't know what you're having and you have to cook something fast, this is a good one for that. Sarah, what have you been eating? I got this recipe from Kelsey of the Girl Next Door podcast, and it is a lemony lentil soup. Yeah. I have been feeling not as inspired by lentil soup with the brown lentils. Mm. I think sometimes they're called green lentils. They're the regular lentils. (laughs) The lentils that hold their shape when cooking is what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And this is made with red lentils, which turns more into a creamy, Mm -hmm. mushy situation when cooked. Right. But this has curry powder and cumin as the spices, and then the zest of one lemon and lemon juice added to it. Mm -hmm. And the thing I really liked about it is that you put in fresh whole kernel corn. Oh, yum. Corn is still in season here, so we can get it at the farmer's market. And I could just 
slice the corn off the cob. And so it was really crunchy Mm. and fresh when it was in there. It is the best red lentil soup I've ever had. I feel before when I've made them, it's fine, but it doesn't inspire me and I don't usually want to eat it for leftovers. But I was all about consuming this the next day and the day after. And we're making it again this week. That sounds very yum. Like a really good soup for summer because the lemon probably makes it Mm -hmm. fresher and a little less heavy. Mm -hmm. But I love the idea of corn. I've had soups like this at Mediterranean restaurants. Like there was a Lebanese restaurant in Nashville that made Mm -hmm. an amazing red lentil soup with tons of lemon. But the corn with the different texture seems like it's going to be really awesome. Yes. Do you blend it up before you put the corn in or do you not blend it at all? I did some blending, but left some chunks. So there's also carrot chunks. Mm. And I added the corn later. I think that you could add it before you finished cooking it in the Instant Pot. Mm-hmm. And I did mine after and just let it cook a little bit in the hot soup. Yeah. And then I did some blending, but some chunks because I like the way that makes it a little bit more complicated and varied. Interesting. Exactly. Nice. That's all for this episode of Friendlier. It's been great talking with you, Abby, and with all of you listeners. Listeners, if you want to join the conversation, you can leave a comment on our website, friendlierpodcast.com, on Instagram at friendlierpodcast, or send an email to friendlierpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to check out the podcasts from our friends, Kate and Melissa, The Cohesive Home, and Kate's new podcast, Streamline Motherhood. Until next time, may your books be engaging, your food delicious, and your conversations friendly. It's a big old wonderland over here. (laughs) We should have a signal for that. We should have some kind of like, not just like. (laughs) No, that's good. (laughs) I think pointing at the mic works. Okay. I'm like, you're kidding me. You're not just going to eat the rest of that cake that's on your plate.